to the 70th Womanthology podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. In this, our first episode of 2024, our Women in Innovation episode, I speak with Agnes Wamagui, Knowledge Transfer Manager for Robotics for Innovate UK KTN. Agnes shares her career journey and enthusiasm for all things robotic and her passion for helping businesses grow through innovation. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website, that's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on X, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We have Agnes Wamagui and she is Knowledge Transfer Manager for Robotics for Innovate UK KTN. So how are you doing? Really excited to be talking with you. Hello, I am doing good. I am excited to be here. Thank you for providing this opportunity to talk about who I am, what I do. Well, I'm just going to tell you now, you are fascinating. So no pressure there. So for the listeners of the podcast, sometimes I'll chat with a podcast guest in advance yeah. of the podcast. So we've had a conversation and I'm fascinated by you, Agnes. So looking forward to finding all about you know, the work that you're doing, your career today, all of those things as well. So if it's all right, I am going to dive right into the questions and I'm going to start off by asking you if you could tell us about your educational background and career to date. Who is oh, Agnes? So I, I'll, I'll end up giving you a whole history. So that I'll, I'll give you some more of like a history lesson for today. So my education background starts from when I studied in Kenya. So I studied in Kenya and then I moved to the UK in the high school years. Well, I was very interested in IT and ICT. So when I finished high school, I went into university and I studied computer science because I was so interested in computer science. And then... During my university years, I had the opportunity to become uh, an IT intern, which basically was more working with the students and the teachers to support them. And then I saw this opportunity that came on the careers page. So every single time I was looking at the careers page, because during my second year, I was looking to, to do a placement year. But obviously COVID happened during that time. I would go to the careers office and they're like, well, you either have to work from home because all the opportunities, they don't work in offices. So once I saw this opportunity came up for REI, and that was for KTN, I was like, oh, let me just apply. Why not? What's the worst can happen? So I applied for it. I went for the interview. And the interview was so amazing because they asked me to talk about robotics. And I was like, well, let me tell you all about robots. <laughs> and I think the passion for robots also came from one of my modules that I did was on robotics. And we had the opportunity to code using a, a 3D printed robot. That's the only background I had in robots. And all I knew about robotics was just humanoid robots. I didn't know anything about industrial robots. So when I joined KTN, I had the opportunity to learn about what other robots are in the UK market. And I was getting paid to do that. So I was like, yes, sign me up. So I signed up for it, went to the interview. They loved me at the interview. And they're like, would you like to come and work for us? I was like, yes. <laughs> it's a win-win situation. I get to learn what I need to learn. And obviously from that opportunity, I had to build a robotic landscape map, which is the area landscape map that's on the Innovate UK website. And at that time it was a contract basis. So I was only given three months to develop this technology. And I had the opportunity to work with one of still my, my close friend at work, Raluca, and build this area landscape map. And then three months came and they were like, well, your contract has ended, but there's a showcase event happening. If you would still like to continue and present this landscape map at the showcase event. The showcase was a virtual event. This was the first time I'm going to present in front of key stakeholders, government stakeholders, innovators. And I was like, this is the big deal. This is it. So I was like, okay, it's always that nerve wracking because it's your first time doing something, right? I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. But I was like, oh, I'm not by myself. I'm with Raluca. So it's, it's all good. So we ended up doing a lot of practices and now we're going to present this landscape map. We ended up presenting in front of key stakeholders. They loved it. So they extended my contract for another two months because they were like, we want to keep you. We want you to talk about your work. 
And we, I presented the, the, the landscape map. They loved it. They actually appreciated the fact that we did all this work. So I was getting that input back and I was like, oh, you love my work. Thank you so much. And then from there, my contract ended. Just uh, at, the, at the same time that, that my contract ended was the time that I was actually graduating. So I just finished my third year because it was around June time. So I, I went to my manager and I was like, well, I've graduated because at that time I was doing only part time and it was only contract. So I was like, I have more time. I love the work that KTN does. So is there any opportunity for me to work for KTN longer? And my manager said, well, actually, we have the Made Smarter contract and they're looking for resources within KTN. Would you like to work there? And I was like, well, I'm doing the same thing, but for the manufacturing sector, yes, sign me up. Where do I go? So they ended up putting me on a six-month probation period. And I went from robotics and AI to industrial technology and manufacturing. So knowledge transfer manager for industrial technology and manufacturing. And within that, I had the opportunity to work on the Made Smarter contract. And when I joined, I was like, oh my God, what is this Made Smarter contract about? It's a big program that has already had a couple of months doing adoption. And now they were doing more innovation. And I was more on the innovation side. And I was like, okay, but what does that actually mean? What do they mean by innovation for manufacturing? At that time, my background is robotics in AI. And they were like, well, that's actually very, very transferable within the manufacturing aspects because the whole purpose of Made Smarter is to make manufacturing smarter and that's bringing in robotics and automation within the manufacturing sector and i was like yes i get to learn more about what the manufacturing challenges are and the solutions that i can offer and where robotics in ai i can see robotics in AI being integrated within that so that was amazing i i had that six months to learn from it and then i came back and i was like i told my manager i was like listen th there's a lot of work within made smarter and i still feel like i don't understand what needs to be done is there something that i can do that's mainly allows me to open my view on robotics in air. But as I mentioned, I just came straight from university. I'm like, I want to learn everything about robotics. I've been in manufacturing for six months. I feel like I know more about what manufacturing is about. But is there an opportunity for me in KTN to learn about general robotics? And my manager was like, yes, there is. We can put you as the complex system knowledge transfer manager. And that you sit within the whole of the complex system team. So if you want to work on space projects, for example, if you want to work on defense projects, if you want to work on AI projects, that's my role within KTN. And I was like, this is fantastic. So I can still maintain my robotics and AI title, but my role in itself is complex systems. And I was like, amazing. So when I came back into complex system, I ended up supporting our defense lead, Hazel Biggs. And she was like, there's this DTEP program, which will be a fantastic opportunity for you to learn more about how robotics in air can be integrated into the defense sector. I ended up working with MOD. I was sitting in board meetings and I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, this is huge. I've never thought myself going to a board meeting. I remember having a conversation with my mom on the phone. And I was like, mom, guess where I am? I'm in London. I'm going to the MOD office. And she was like, you mean a ministerial office? And I was like, yes. And she was like, I'm so proud of you. And I was like, yes, I know I am proud of me too because I don't know how I got here, but I'm here now. And I was having these board meetings. I was trying to understand how to, to run a program because this is a 16 million program. So in those meetings, it was more of discussing how are we going to do this? How are we going to run this program to support people or businesses that want to come into the defense sector, but they don't have any background in defense. And I was like, I get to sit in an opportunity and inform people about this amazing opportunity that you as a business, you're sitting there with this robotics and AI technology and you're like, well, I would love this to go in another sector, but the only sector that you can't get in is defense because defense is very protective about how things work. So you're sitting with this technology and it's like, I want to go into defense, but I don't know where to go. And I'm like, well, this is what DTEP is about. It's you with your technology, you come in, you integrate that technology into defense. You work with a high-tier supplier who already has a foundation in defense. So you as an SME who doesn't have any foundation, you also get to learn. And at the end of the program, you already have an end user, which is the big company working with the MOD to, to, to develop that technology to be, to be used in the market. So I was when I was sitting in those board meetings, I was like, this is absolutely amazing. Like I didn't know that I can be part of this change. Because where my background in university, I was just learning about robots. And now I'm learning how those robots can actually make change or how this piece of money can actually make change to UK businesses. And then 
recently I got promoted into robotics and I was like, how does that change from my everyday basis tasks? Because I still want to continue doing what I'm doing because I love helping people. And I spoke to my manager about it. And he told me, Agnes, your role doesn't change. It's basically the same thing, but you're more specializing in robotics. And I was like, oh, this is it. I've reached it. Because in my head, I was like, I've never any one point sitting down and thinking, oh my days, one day I'll be a robotics lead. In my head, I was like, you know, I'm just going to continue learning because I'm, this is something I'm passionate about. For them to give me a job that I feel like even if I don't get paid to do, I will still do it. I was like, this is amazing. I have reached where I need to reach. I am where I'm supposed to be. And basically continuing helping those robotic companies. Now I'm mainly focusing on robotics. I'm like, this is fantastic. But as I said, that's where my career is up to date. <laughs> wow. So the listeners on the podcast can't see us because obviously we do an audio podcast. But I just love the fact that as you're talking about all of this, your face is just beaming. Some people in these situations where, because they can be a bit intimidating sometimes, if you're going into a new organisation, government departments, all of these things can be a bit intimidating. But I love the way some people will default to a kind of an imposter syndrome, kind of I'm a bit scared kind of position. But I love the way you're embracing that, but just going, this is great. It's not a case of... I'm here. I'm scared of these things. It's like, it's here. I'm excited. It's great. And I, I absolutely love that. Mentioning about imposter syndrome, even for me, myself, I would say I did experience imposter syndrome, especially like going into that, that board meeting with MOD. I, I was like, am I supposed to be here? But then I'm sitting down and I'm thinking the universe does not provide to you something that they know you're not capable of. Right. Absolutely. If you're in the right position, why would you get imposter syndrome? Like, the universe is basically handling you something that they know clearly you can handle. So having that imposter syndrome, it's embracing that. I'm in a room with these big people, but it is okay because it means I am going to be one of them one day. And it's like, you are there because you provide your knowledge and your expertise. You also have your knowledge and expertise. So being in a room where everyone is talking big, big terminologies. It means it's a room for you to learn, not a room for you to be intimidated. Absolutely. And when I joined KTN as well, most of the people that I work with are people who have years and years of experience, years and years of knowledge. And I remember talking to one of my friends as well, and I was telling them, you know, most of the people that I work with have PhDs. I just have a bachelor degree. What am I doing here, you know? And then I'm coming to realize it's not about having a bachelor degree is not about having years and years of experience is about do you actually have the capability to learn are you there to learn are you there to grow are you there to listen to people and take in all the knowledge that you can and improve yourself because sometimes I talk to my friends as well and they're like Agnes you know so much and I'm like do I because where I work <laughs> I work with people who know more than me so it's always feeling like on one side, you're like, you know a lot. And the other side, oh, maybe I don't know a lot. And that's where imposter syndrome comes in. Because in one room, you are the best. But in another room, you're not. But I always tell people, I'd rather be in a room where I don't know a lot. Because it gives me room to learn. I don't want to be the smartest one in the room. I want to be enough to, to have room for me to learn and grow. It's mindset. It's a growth mindset. Now, Agnes, can I ask you about Innovate UK KTN? Because for people who don't know from the outside world, briefly, could you give us an overview of what it does and how it works and what the benefits are for the people that it serves? Absolutely. So I usually tell people Innovate UK, it's the UK government funding body for innovation. They mainly work on how can we fund people? How can we give innovators the funding opportunities that they need? Because we know the journey from idea to commercialization is challenging right so innovate uk is there to give people that funding pot to be like we've got this piece of money you want to innovate your idea you want to take your idea to commercialization you don't have your own money to do so here you go we'll give you the money ktn is the knowledge transfer network right so this is just a network that spans wide right so our network is so big it's got forty thousand organizations we have over 200,000 innovators and we are well connected to every university in the UK right that, that's how big our network is so when Innovate UK and KTN merged 
we are literally in the best position for a company to come in and say, okay, I have this idea. I don't know what to do. And KTN in itself, we are the network. We'll be like, okay, we can connect it to any organizations that you want. We can connect it to any university that you want. We can connect it to investors. Anything that you want for your business, we can connect you to that. And then because we are sitting within Innovate UK, we can also give you the funding pot to do so, right? So I tell people, we are simply like a dating agency that we are scattered all over the world with a purpose and vision to create diverse connection to drive positive change and to establish a network of innovators that are so powerful that its ideas could change the world. Because we understand ourselves, we understand that the future holds both challenges and opportunities. Businesses themselves, they have their own challenges. So Katen in itself is very passionate to work with innovative businesses to overcome these challenges and shape the opportunities and solutions for them to grow. And basically we exist to help businesses grow. Anything that you can think of as a business, you're sitting there, okay, you're looking to open a business in the UK. For example, we get companies that are like, I've developed my technology, for example, in Poland or somewhere in Europe, obviously because of Brexit, it's very challenging for them to open businesses in the UK. So what they do, they come to us and they're saying, okay, I'm opening this business to do this innovative project. This is my first innovative project. Is there a way that I can get any support? And we sit right in within that to be like, okay, you've got connections abroad, but you're trying to open your own business here in the UK. We support you from that idea. It's a dating agency. So it's basically matchmaking as well. It's what do you need as a business? And some business say, I don't know what I need. I don't know what I want. I'm here. I'm confused. I don't know where to go. I have this challenge. I don't know how to solve it. We give them the opportunities as well for them to be like, oh, actually, that sounds better than this other one. Can I go for that? And if it doesn't work, because we know some businesses, the challenges are too much that they try one route, it does not work. And they're like, I don't know what to do. I've, I've failed. And But for us, we're like, well, if that opportunity does not work, we have plenty more. So don't sit there wondering what to do with my business. I don't know where to go. Come to us. Basically, we are like a public service organization. We don't do this because we are getting paid to do this, but we do this because we want to support you. We want to see you grow. We want to see your business grow. We're doing this because we want to benefit the people. This taxpayer's money as well, this pot of money, we want to see go to good use, right? We see businesses every time they pay taxes, like this is your money too. Come, come and use it. It goes back to your pocket. So use the money that you paid to be used to you. The money comes back to you. So it's literally there for those businesses to come and take them. I, I love your approach to everything. I defy people not to be carried along with the enthusiasm. We can do this. We can make this work. This is what we like. This is womanthology through and through. That's what you are. Um, and in terms of on a day-to-day basis, if we were trying to imagine you at your desk or out and about, what are we imagining you doing? So as I said, dating itself is a dating agency. So think of me as a matchmaker. My daily basis is matchmaking. And in terms of matchmaking, you need to, number one, understand the business itself. What does the business do? What challenges or what opportunities would they need that would be perfect for them? On a day-to-day task, a business will come to me or I go to them, I talk to them, I understand the challenges and the solutions that they can get. So half of it, it's talking to the business to understand who can I connect them with. The other thing is also gathering knowledge from people, from businesses. Because for example, I'll get companies that come to me and three or four companies have the same challenge, but these companies don't know they have the same challenge. So it's looking at who can I put in place for these four companies to match make with them so that they can get the best solution possible. So my day-to-day basis is speaking to businesses, understanding the challenges and recommending the best solution. And this is more about finding the perfect fit to their challenges and opportunities to help their business grow. So my day-to-day basis is it's that. I wake up in the morning, I speak to a company, I see who I can connect them to, I connect them to them. If they come back and they're like, well, that connection did not work. I, I don't like how they work. I, I, it's okay. Back to the drawing board until we find the perfect match and find the perfect opportunity. Again, some companies might come to us and say, I'm looking for money. Literally, I don't have any money as a business to do this amazing project. Who do I go to? Where do I go to? We tell them, oh, by the way, we've got an investor program. Do you want to go through an investment line or do you want to go through a funding line? We always inform them as well, funding opportunities as well. Don't think you apply for funding today and boom, money is in your pocket. 
with funding opportunities, we've got a lot of due diligence in itself because it, it's a government body. It's a taxpayer's body. There's a lot of due diligence that goes in place as well. You can get companies coming in looking for funding opportunities and they don't get funding until the 12th month. So we tell companies, these are the opportunities. Which one do you want to take? If you want to take this route, these are the benefits and these are the disadvantages of it. If you want to take this route, these are the benefits and the disadvantages of it. Again, with the funding pot, the time scale is 12 months, but we also try to reduce it. So we tell companies as well, if you want to take the funding route, these are the challenges that you might face. So if you want the money by tomorrow, then it's best to go through an investor route, learn how to invest, learn how to pitch at an investment program. We've got those programs in place to do that, to help them, to support them. If you have an idea and you're like, oh, I have this idea, but I'm so scared to go pitch it to investors because I don't want this idea to be taken because it's my idea. And obviously it's an idea. Anyone can steal your idea. So it's like, how do we put them in place to actually get that idea in itself into commercialization? So you're helping them protect their intellectual property. Exactly. So on a day-to-day basis, that's what I do. It's matchmaking, making sure that I'm supporting these businesses and placing them in a position where I know they will grow. And if they have any challenges, is to see what I can do myself to overcome that challenge for them. And if that's connecting them to an amazing person who also has the skills or the expertise or the relevant connections, then yeah, why not? So there's this one company that I worked with. They're a startup and they came to me and they're like, I'm looking to get funding opportunities. And I was like, if you want to apply for this funding opportunity, you can, but it might take you 12 months to do so. But what we can do is put you in contact to someone in the Innovate UK Edge family who has more support than myself. So obviously I have my own limitations and I can support you to a specific point, but from that on, I, I don't know anything about that space. So I can connect them to someone who's more expert than I am and they can help. So I connected them with someone from Innovate Edge. Innovate Edge are part of the Innovate UK families, but they help in terms of the growth program that they have in place, which is a business can come in and they can offer more expertise, more level of understanding, and they can give them the, the support that they need with the funding opportunity as well. I supported them to a specific point and I was like, listen, the best person to put you in contact with is the Edge team. Someone from the Edge will take you from where I put you to above. And now for me, it's watching them grow. How are they growing? Do they need me? Do they not need me? And at the end of the day, it's like, if they get to a point where they can basically swim by themselves, I am happy because I'm like, I, you've came to me, I have supported you and now you're working wonderfully. And there's this reward feeling that you get when you see a company that comes to you with a challenge and then you solve it for them. And then you see them going from a startup to an SME, to a medium organization, to a large organization. You see them grow and you're like, wow. I helped you on this one bit. Look at how far you've gone. So there's that element as well that I get from my day-to-day basis. Oh, I love this. You're <laughs> as enthusiastic about these things as I am. I don't often meet people that are as enthusiastic as I am. Tell me about the programs that you're working on now. So one of the programs I'm working on, it's called Bridge AI. And this is a 100 billion funding program that caters for what the government classifies as low maturity sectors. This is construction, creative industry, transport and agriculture. So if you're an AI company looking to get into any of these sectors and you're like, I have this amazing technology, I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do. Well, there's funding port for you right there. And if you're looking to adopt AI as well and you're wondering, I don't know what to do in terms of upskilling, we've got our partners, like for example, the Alan Turing Institute and the Hatchery Center. The Hatchery Center cater for if you want to develop your technology further and you're like, I don't have the testing ground to cater for this type of AI. The Alan Turing Institute cater for all the learning and upskilling aspects. So if you want to learn, you want to up- upskill your team, that's where you go. But come to KTN itself and we'll help allocate you to the right person. The other program that we have in place is DTEP, which is the Defense Technology Exploitation Program, which is for those companies that have an innovation and want to get into the defense field. As I mentioned before, it's very difficult for companies to get into the defense area because it's very protective. It's very like, if you've never been into the defense field, you're not welcome here. But that's what the Defense Technology Exploitation Program is for. It's for you as an SME who's looking to get into the defense field and you don't know where to start. So what you can do, you can apply through DASA, which is the Defense and Security Accelerator, and they will help you get connected with a high tier organization. You can apply to up to a million. 
This high tier organization will cater for the 50% of the project. So the other 50% comes from Innovate UK. You work together, you develop that technology. That technology ends up being used by the MOD. So that's DTP. And there's 60 mil 16 million, 16 million funding port for that as well. We have cycles running through the year. So if you are thinking of applying now and you're like, oh, we're in cycle four. I don't know what to do. I missed that cycle. Relax. The next cycle is coming up. You can apply for that again. And if you applied through it and you're like, oh, I went through the whole process and I got denied. I don't know what to do. You can apply again. Just come back and say, what do I need to improve on? Can I use this type of technology? Because if you've already gone through that whole step, right? and you didn't succeed on getting the funding, you you can come back and say, why did I not get the funding? What do I need to add on? What do I need to improve on? And then you can apply for again. Yeah. So there is no end of the road. There's always opportunities for you to apply and get the funding pot that you need. I think with a lot of government funding pots, number one, people are not aware of them. They're not aware that we exist. So I feel like part of my job as well is to go to people and tell them, did you know we exist? Because it's not once or twice I've spoken to people and they're like, what? You're telling me I can get money? Like, you're telling me there's money that I can use that I didn't know? And I'm like, yes, come on. It's your money, right? You pay taxes, right? <laughs> it's there for you. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, And yeah. you apply for it and you're like, oh no, I didn't get it. I don't know what to do. Come back again. Come and tell us that's what we're here for. If you go forward, you don't succeed. There's always more options. And this is going back to one of the things my mom told me. She always tells me, if a door closes, a window opens somewhere else. So go find that window. <laughs> Don't sit there in front of the closed door and cry. Start looking for the next window of opportunity, right? <laughs> I like that as a metaphor for life. Can I just speak with you for about five minutes at the start of each day? Just to set me up for everything. It's not just... once or twice. People have told me I need to be a life coach. I love it. And so why is diversity of thought so important in robotics? So I would say in terms of diversity of thoughts, it builds a lot of innovation and creativity. So when you have a diverse group of people who have different experiences, different perspectives and different ways of thinking, this fosters a way of creativity for innovation. You're thinking about innovating robotics and, and AI or just robotics in general. But number one, if you don't have diverse people who have different perspectives, that will not foster that innovation. So it's looking at having diversity of thought actually brings more innovation and creativity. Number two, it also leads to a lot of problem solving. We know there's a lot of complexity when it comes to robotics and it requires creative minds, right? So having diversity, not just as a person, but in terms of knowledge bases and in terms of their business thinking, because I talk about how people's backgrounds also influence how they think. So it's looking at if someone comes from a very, let's say, a diverse background, even in terms, let's talk about ethnic background as well, that can bring that perspective of creativity and brings that perspective of problem solving because they are coming from different angles. They're thinking from different angles. They're thinking of how can we make this approach broader and offer more potential solutions to change or to groundbreak answers. So it's offering that element of problem solving. We know when it comes to innovating technology and in terms of creating technologies, especially in AI field, we've got a lot of biases that comes into the system that people don't know about this. If you look at cameras, let's talk about just cameras in general. When you talk, look at cameras in itself, for a, a dark-skinned person or a melanin, melanin person, they'll need more light than a person who doesn't have melanin. And it's looking at when you're creating these technologies, have you integrated that element? So when you, you look at smartphones, you, they're called smartphones for a reason because they have an AI element. And you would think with a smartphone camera, when you put, place it on, on your face, for example, it will be smart enough to be like, oh, this person has slight melanin. Let's make it a little bit brighter for them or they're not melaninated. Let's create this technology. But because of that bias in the system in itself, that was not placed by a person doing it, but it's the unconscious bias that also plays in the role of technology. So it's looking at with having a diverse thought, 
we'll already start to think about that. We'll start to think about how can we make sure that these AI systems that we're building or this robotic system that we're building already addresses this, already identifies this type of biases to ensure that the system in itself is fair, it's unbiased, and it considerates every perspective. So it basically helps having that diverse thoughts. It helps in making AI system more ethical and responsible, and it avoids biases and ethical concerns in, in the long run. Another thought is talking about user-centric design. So robotics often have a designated design to interact with different diverse user groups. And a diverse team is better equipped to understand the needs, the preferences, and the cultural nuances of a wide range of users that leads to development of more inclusive and user-friendly technologies. So again, it's looking at having a diverse thought comes into the diverse thinking and comes into the centric design of the robotic technology in itself. Because you're looking at who are your stakeholders, who are your end users. When you're building technology, that's one thing that you always think about. Who are my end users? Who are these people who are going to be using this type of technology? And because you already have that diverse thought in place, it already caters for how will your users use this type of technology? And will that have any sort of biases? You already put that in place. So it's all about having a diverse thought in ethnicity and also in businesses, in ideas. It helps in that. It helps in building technology that's already innovative and away from biases. And how do talent attraction and talent retention affect diversity of thought in robotics? I class myself as a black African woman and there isn't a lot of women in this kind of field in robotics field and in general and especially black ethnic women like myself. So this has really influenced my career in itself and it has influenced my diversity thought in itself. My background, obviously, I mentioned to you before, I grew up in Kenya myself. So I have that upbringing of where I, I grew up in, in an environment where robotics wasn't even in my head <laughs> growing up. To come into the UK, moving to the UK and seeing how advanced the UK is and seeing how I have so much to learn from the UK and so much resources that's provided that's on a public domain that I can learn and teach myself. And because of that mindset, when I got into this field of robotics, I was like, okay, am I hired because of a diversity quota or am I hired because of the talent and because of the knowledge base that I have? And obviously for me as a black woman, that always plays at the back of my mind sometimes because like... I would be invited to go speak at conferences or congresses. And I'm like, are they inviting me to just reach a diversity quote or not? Because it's not once or twice. I, I have some of my friends who obviously they've applied to a robotic company or an AI company because they studied in the same course as me. And in my course, in my whole classroom, I remember in one of my class, there was only like, there's only four girls out of a hundred students studying computer science. I know this is a male dominated industry. So I know it's going to be challenging, even at university level. And then going to work everywhere, obviously it's a male-dominated industry again. And I'm like, okay, I'm a woman, number one, I'm a woman. And number two, I'm a black woman. So those are two things that are constantly playing in my head. So when it comes to diversity in thought, it's looking at are businesses actually doing this? Are they hiring people to reach that quota? Because it's not once or twice. You get companies that are hiring black women or are hiring ethnic women. And for example, they'll say, oh, you know, we have a Muslim woman, a Muslim black woman in my team. She's amazing. But then when you actually go speak to them, they're saying, oh, every single time they're talking about things that I have no idea how I can add my input in. Or they come back and say one or two things they're saying, you know, some of the things that they're saying doesn't sit well with me. Or for example, they'd be like, oh, she doesn't like to come to the pub with us, to network with us. But you're talking about a Muslim woman. That's basically against their religion to go to a pub. They're not supposed to be in an environment where there's drinking or there's alcohol, right? But this is on a basis-to-basis -basis person. I'm not talking about all Muslim women, but I'm just talking on the Muslim women that I know in my life. They don't want to be in an environment where people are drinking, people are loud, and it's it might not be comfortable for them just as, even as a person. Mind you, everyone in their team is a man, 
and they're the only diverse woman there. So they're like, I have no one to talk to my problems to. I can't talk about this problem to any of them because I don't think any of them would understand. So it's looking at, if you have that diverse though as a business in itself, you're looking at bringing in people, not because of reaching the diversity quota, even if it's for reaching the diversity quota, it's looking at, do you have things in place for them to improve on their talent and for them to get more value from your business? Because you can talk about how good your business is. Like we, we're very innovative in robotics. Like our technologies are, are amazing. But then you come back to the people itself that are working in that business. You, you say you've got all these women, but do those women feel safe in that environment? Do they feel like they're valued? Do they feel like they can take their skills and their ideas to the next level? Have you created an environment for them to be able to feel like their diversity is valued for their opinions and their backgrounds? Because they're coming from a different background with a different perspective, with different ideas and different mindsets of things. Do they have the, the safe environment to actually put that in into the business? Can they come back and say, you know, from my background, this is what I experienced and I would like this business if it's moving forward to move like this. Is that idea appreciated or is that idea just shut down? Like, yeah, we don't care about your background. We don't care about that nonsense. Do they have that? So it's looking at why diversity is important. It's that as well. It's not just for women in innovation. It's not just for women in businesses, but it's looking at, are their talent retention and attraction for business? Yeah, I, I think the tokenism point as well, though, I'm always quite conscious in what we're doing in trying yeah. not to be tokenistic. But sometimes you, you think, oh, is that tokenistic? And that shouldn't be tokenistic. I think sometimes people who've never been in the, the minority, they don't understand what it's like to be in a minority. So an example in my own life. So I um, had cancer treatment in 2018. And it's informed everything in my life since because your health and the way that you are able to work and all of those things. But if somebody has never experienced that, so recently I've just had flu. Yeah. And in some ways I I thought it's quite good I've had flu because it reminds me of what it's like to feel awful, to not be able to function. And obviously nobody wants all of those things. Mm. But it's a real pertinent reminder when we forget sometimes of what it's like to experience all of that and to not be able to function, to not be able to work as you would normally do. Because mm. unless you've actually actively experienced something like that, so you, you, how do you know how it feels and how do you know how to support yeah. colleagues who are, who may also be in minority groups that you're not in? Absolutely. It's that as well. Talking about minority groups, you know, people always say like, I don't know what it feels like to be a black woman living in a society today. You don't have to feel like that. No one is putting you in a position to feel like, how are, you, how are you going to feel like a disabled person if yourself are not disabled? But it's like, do you have the empathy to sit with a disabled person? Do you have the empathy to sit with a minority person and actually listen, not listen to just hear what they're saying, but listen to understand I usually think of, of it as I rather you think that the question is going to be offensive than not asking at all. For myself, I'm like, come and ask me that question. You're like, oh, you know, I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to seem rude to ask this question. Ask, then the person will tell you whether it's offensive or not, yeah. right? It's having that mindset of, I am curious to know more about what it's like to live as a minority person in a male-dominated industry than to be like, oh, I don't want to ask that question. It's, it's too offensive to ask that kind of question or wondering like, are they happy? Are they not? Like, if they're not happy, go ask them. Are you, are you actually satisfied? Or how can we improve? How can we make this environment better for you than to see the person suffer? Because for example, for my job, we do collaborative events. And every venue that I, I'm not disabled, I don't classify myself as disabled. And every environment that I go into, I look at the inclusive mindset Am I ensuring that this environment caters for minority groups of people, for disabled people? And if one an event I, I do does not cater for dis disabled people, please come and inform me. Come and correct me because I am open to be corrected. I'd rather be wrong than to live life thinking I'm right. And I'm actually putting everyone else in a bad position where they feel like they can't be hard. They can't feel secure to come to me, to talk to me about specific things that I don't experience myself. 
Yeah. So it's it's having the conversations where people want to have the conversations. It's seeking people's agreement to have the conversations and then have the conversations. Absolutely. And we it's not once or twice I've seen business do this. We'll see business coming in and they're asking, how can we have an inclusive design for our businesses? And because they're being challenged internally, they also want to challenge their business and look at their business and have that inclusive design to cater for any person who wants to work in that business. And I usually tell businesses, that's the first step. The first step is actually questioning yourself as a business. Do you have an inclusive design? Or you question yourself as an individual. Do I have an inclusive design? And can I put this inclusive design to my business? And how can I grow my business, making sure that I'm creating an environment that caters to everyone? So, Agnes, what are the key trends that you're noticing at the moment in the robotic space? So in the robotic space, I have started to see a lot of cobots, which are collaborative robots coming into the market. So these are robotics that are working alongside humans and are gaining more popularity because they're being built with safety features and they're being built to enhance efficiency and safety for humans. Going back to diversity thinking, we see collaborative robots coming in place to cater for disabled people. A lot of disabled people coming into the robotics field. Because I'm not disabled myself, but talking to disabled people that I have found in my life, they always say they always struggle going to work because the work environment has not been designated for them. So we'd see someone coming, for example, into a manufacturing and they're like, oh, everyone in the shop is constantly standing, hurting their back. And I'm there with my wheelchair sitting down. But it's like, I cannot stand for my job. What can I do? Well, collaborative robots come in place to cater for that. It's like, you can still work. You don't have to stand up. You can still work. But the robot will help you pick and place things. And you have to continue doing everything that everyone else is doing in the factory, right? So it's looking at how the robot in itself, it's in place to bring that inclusive design into a factory floor. Another trend I have seen is AI and machine learning integration. So this is looking at how robotics increasingly incorporating advanced AI and machine learning techniques to learn from experiences, to adapt to changing environment and to improve their performances over time. So one of the key things is, I remember speaking to one of the companies So they integrate AI in drones. Drones is still a type of robot. And it was so interesting to see how they saw a challenge within the real industry when it came to drones. Because these drones, obviously they've been tested to work in every field. But robots, like humans, they're not perfect. They always have their own disadvantages. So one of these drones ended up malfunctioning. And it's like, if it only had an AI system in there to adapt itself to learn, to be like, oh, there's too much wind. A bird came flew and hit one of my propellers. This propeller is not working now. I can't use one of my propellers. How can this drone, instead of just falling, how can this drone adapt to that environment to be like, okay, something is wrong with one of the propellers. Let's fix that. Let's adapt to this situation and be like, okay, this drone is down. Let's increase the pace of these other drones to continue flying around. So it's looking at that and looking at how AI is being used in robotics to make it smarter, make it advanced, make it learn and increase how it's reacting to people as well. Cobots, how is the robot reacting? If someone comes and punches out of the way, can the machine be able to be like, oh, let me sort myself out. I know what has gone wrong here without needing an engineer to come in and fix it every two seconds because someone has knocked it off. It's having that element. Another thing is autonomous vehicles and drones. This is going back to that Luffy AI example that I just mentioned to you. And it's developing autonomous vehicles and drones to help them to self-drive and to deliver, for example, in agriculture, in surveillance and other applications. So you can see, for example, with the drone I mentioned to you, you can see in Tesla as well. Tesla has half that self-driving element. So that's another field that's coming in, especially in AI, because AI is being used in robotic technologies. And it's to increase the delivery of things, is to increase and to make human life efficient. But it's also to increase the living life of people, to make everyone better. And especially in agriculture, I'll talk about agriculture. Uh, drones are being used in agriculture and 
For example, let's say a farmer has lots of acres and they're like, I don't have enough people to work on my farm. What am I supposed to do? Well, here's the solution. You bring a drone or an autonomous vehicle that will do the same job as humans because of lack of labor. We'll come and solve that for you as a farmer. You come and you, you look at your farm, you see your little drones or your little robots doing it, their work, and you're like, oh, I can just go back home and sleep. Come back, the job has been done. And no one is complaining like the robots have been overworked or anything. And it's also catering to that labor shortages as well. And I, I always hear or oh, a lot of people complaining as well, saying these robots are going to take our jobs. I don't know what I'm going to do in the next five years. My job is going to go away. And I always tell people, you're noticing the trends of robotics coming in very, very fast. People adopting robotics. Businesses are open to adopting robotics. And on the other side is people being concerned about robots taking their jobs. I always tell people constantly over and over again, the robot is not taking your job. It's taking the aspect that's more monotonous for you. Because as an individual, you want your job to be easier. Why don't you just go home, sleep, come back, see your robot is doing the job, and then go back to sleep? Yeah. Instead of you working there saying, oh, my back hurts. Oh, my, I have sick leave. Oh, something's going on. It's like your job now is not to do the work in itself, but to watch your robot do the work. Would that not be easier than to you? You can just go on with your day, come back. It's like, oh, my robot is doing what's supposed to be doing. Okay. If it's broken, it sends you reports if it's broken or not. So it's looking at how robotics and automations coming in is coming into the field where there isn't enough people. Yeah. It's coming again into, for example, like let's say in healthcare, we, we're coming back with constantly reports saying the NHS is suffering. We don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough nurses. We don't have people to, to cater for all these things that are going on. But it's like, won't technology actually help in that area. So for example, a doctor has 10 patients and in a day-to-day -day basis, let's say a doctor is only supposed to see five patients within a day. Why do they have to see 20 patients in a day, right? But how can we actually make work more easy as a doctor? Bringing, for example, a, a tablet that has video call and it doesn't have to go to 20 wards to look at the patient because they can come in, talk to the patient, using a Zoom call, how are you feeling today? Is there any pain? Da, 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 da. Get the reports from the patient. They can just Zoom call the patient, how are you doing? Everything is okay. Boom, done and dusted. Instead of them coming in, walking to 20 wards, looking at 20 patients, and some of them, they're actually just there to be discharged. They're waiting for the doctor to say, okay, you can now go home. But it's looking at how can we make their work easier? How can we make their work more efficient so that they can get to see more patients if they need to? And they don't have to feel like they're breaking their back. It's how can we support them? And that's where we're looking in terms of, for, me, for myself as well, in terms of robotics and where I see robotics coming in. That's where it's coming in to support people and not take over their jobs. Because you'll hear someone saying, well, I'm a doctor. Why is the robot coming to take my job as a doctor? No, it's not. It's coming to help you. It's coming to support you. And it's that mindset that as a robotics leader, I'm trying to let people know. Automation is coming in. Are you ready for it? Are you upskilling yourself to make sure that the job that you're doing yourself, before that robot could take it over, you'll still be needed? It's coming back again when companies are trying to integrate robotics as well in their companies. One of the things I always tell them is upskill your workers. Because when you put in robots in your factory, for example, are the people working in the factory aware of how that robot technology works? Because to program for the robot, you need someone who already knows how to do that job. So that person will need to be there to make sure that the robot is doing what it's supposed to be doing. They can get upskilled to be the engineer of that robot, to train that robot to do their job. So their job has not gone. Their job is still there, but it's just changed. Well, it's like to go back to your medical example. So during COVID, a lot of stuff wasn't so face-to-face -face anymore. I think where people really want the face-to-face -face or they really need the face-to-face, -face, it's important not to lose that. So when I would go to the GP, if I didn't need to go and sit there or to have a examined or whatever, I wouldn't want to go. So for, for somebody like me who would want to just have the conversation and you didn't need to be there, it's much better. So I think it's context, isn't it? If you value that and you prefer that for the people that are vulnerable and maybe need 
face-to-face or whatever, or with skill shortages, where if there's a job that people don't want to do at the moment, that there aren't the people to do it, it's not an issue. It's not a problem. So I think it's about the way these things are implemented, isn't it? And it's the context behind that. So it's important to have people like you that are looking at the the bigger picture there. Mm. And there's also the trends of robotics in logistics and warehousing as as well. So people see robotic warehousing as if you work in a warehouse, you'll see that as my job is going to go. But you're not looking at the aspect that the business actually wants, in in terms of business terminology, the business wants to increase its efficiency. And if that efficiency is catered by robots, instead of having 10 workers working in the night, and those workers, obviously, in terms of health-wise, they're not sleeping well, they're, they're working in the night. So during the day where they're supposed to be working and living life, they're sleeping to be able to work on night shifts. So in terms of their health concerns, it's looking at, would there be best to have robots in there? And then those workers, if they want to sleep in, they can sleep in, just making sure that the robot is actually okay. You just have one person just making sure that in terms of surveilling those robots in the warehouse, everything is okay. So warehouses are very, very big and demand for efficiency, especially when it comes to the supply chain, is huge. So it's looking at how can we bring mobile robots that can do the pick and packing and sorting instead of having loads of workers doing the same monotonous job of packing the same. You're packing the same product the same way, like have a robot to come in and pack that. So you can have five humans and 10 robots who says that you don't have to have humans there. You can still have those humans making sure that those robots are doing the same amount of job quickly. So in terms of efficiency, it's increasing the efficiency. But it's looking at, as a business, you want to grow, you want to increase the demand, you want to cater for the demand of efficiency. So why not integrate robotics? And at the end of the day, make sure that those workers working for you, upskill them. There's no harm in upskilling them. There's no harm in changing their roles into engineers for robotics. Because they're there working for you, right? Why not use that resource instead of getting them fired and then trying to look for an engineer to come and cater for those robots? Just upskill them. They're already working for you. It's easy peasy. Just change their roles into engineers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, but I am very careful around AI and robotics, uh, but particularly things like AI. So I always say, please, to Alexa, don't want to upset Alexa. Just in case in the future, just hedging my bets in case there's a <laughs> rise of the machines and some sort of Terminator type scenario. That's the thing as well. I think it's human nature to be scared of the unknown. You're just scared like, oh, one day the robots are going to take over the world. But you're not looking in the world and the angle that we're not there yet. In terms of robotics and AI, we're not there yet. And the only thing that we know is what we have watched in movies. And everything that movies are telling us, oh, the robots are going to take over the world. They're going to kill the human fields. And And you're just sitting there like, so... The only angle you know is the bad things of AI. Okay, but have you looked into where we are in AI and have you looked at the benefits of AI? So it's learning about all of these things and it's the context of those things. So it's a positive progress. Absolutely. Because it's looking at, for example, phones, smartphones. Before the time smartphones became smartphones, people were so scared of it. They're like, I'm not carrying that thing. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but now everyone has one that like, if you don't have a smartphone, someone's asking you, why do you not have a smartphone? Why, how are we going to contact you? So it, it's giving things time for people to learn more about them, to learn about the benefits and the disadvantages, and then make that choice for themselves. So Innovate UK, how are they helping to encourage more women to work in the innovation space? Because I know they've done some very specific things in this area. Absolutely. So we've got a program called Women in Innovation Program, and they recently just had the Women in Innovation Awards. So this program in itself is to encourage more women into the innovation space. They get funding opportunities, they get investors opportunities. It's looking at you as a woman, you already feel a minority as a woman because you feel like it's a man's world. So it's like, what can I do as a woman to make sure that I am being heard, my ideas are well developed? And that's what the program is about. Just because you're a woman, come in, get the money, get the funding, get your technology innovated, get your ideas had, get those ideas into commercialization, get your award as well for, for innovating. So that's what Innovate UK in itself is doing to encourage more women to come into the innovation space. And they're doing great work as well because we featured <laughs> lots of women innovation winners and we love them always. And they're always super impressive. So get involved, people. That's what we're saying. 
what is coming up next for you what are you looking forward to what are you excited about can be in work can be out of work can be anything you want absolutely so out of work I enjoy dancing so I do both bachata salsa and kizomba so I do three types of dancing and I recently went to Barcelona to learn what what they call sensual bachata so bachata in itself has different types of styling we've got like the original bachata then you've got sensual bachata you've got dominican bachata and i still don't know that but there's still many more out there so this year for me it's learning all the different types of dancing techniques i want to improve my dance techniques because the way i dance it's what boosts my confidence and it's what brings that passion into me maybe one day i can build a robot that can dance or that can teach people to dance oh yeah i'd be up for that kitchen dancing is my favorite so i've got youtube on the screen and i like to do a bit of kitchen dancing but i could bring a robot in that would be great yeah who says that a robot can't be a teacher i trained that robot to dance but that's one thing I'm looking for. It's sort of work. That's one thing I'm really looking forward to is to learn all the techniques that I can learn to build my confidence in my dance and to build my confidence in myself because dancing helps me understand the kind of person I am. Am I a fast learner? Am I a slow learner? If I don't get specific move, can I give myself time to learn? And I see that applied into my work as well. As I mentioned, I got into this role this year and I'm looking forward to see what I can do within the robotics field. I don't even know what that would look like, but I am feeling very, very positive about it because I feel like I I can trust myself. I've been positioned in a position where I feel like I got to do something for myself. And I am really looking forward to see the projects I'm going to be working with and the companies that I'll be working with, how I can help them solve their challenges, how I can help them grow. The main key thing for me is to see people grow I'm growing as an individual. I want to see the people around me grow. Those businesses that I'm supporting, how are they growing? That's one of the things I'm really looking forward to. Another project I'm currently working on is to build a network of robotics proving ground facilities that as a robotic technology who's trying to build or who's trying to innovate the, the robotic field, they can come in through me and I can help them get connected to one of those proving ground facilities so that they can take their technology from just an idea to actually ready to commercialize. So for me this year, it's looking at, can I build that network and that foundation of network for these robotic companies to come in from me? I'm like, okay, you want to do this? There's this facility that can cater for that to be able to develop your technology the way you want to. Here you go, go develop your technology, come back to me when you're ready to commercialize or come back to me when you're ready to invest. So for me, it's, that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to. It's to encourage more development of robotics in the UK landscape. Well, I think if anybody can do that, <laughs> Agnes, it's you. I have no doubt whatsoever. So would it be all right for us to keep in touch with you and to follow your progress? Absolutely. I'm happy to share with you my progress. I'm happy to share with you what I've learned and the knowledge that I have learned for the, for the past time that I've been here. So I'm really looking forward to that. Well, I'm incredibly excited and a little sneaky plug as well. So we have got our Womanthology Inclusion Thought Leads event, which is taking place on the 28th of February at Lloyd's of London. And I think you are going to join us. Is that right? Yes. Yes, I'll be there. <laughs> so people come along to that event. The details are online. So there is an Eventbrite page. So uh, have a look on our socials and we'll also put a link in the podcast as well. So come along and you get to meet Agnes. If you want to find yes. out more, come along. Uh, well, it doesn't get better than that, does it, at all? So absolute pleasure speaking with you today, Agnes. Literally, I could speak with you all day. <laughs> uh, but thank you so, so much. And yeah, just take care. And we will look forward to meeting you in person on the 28th of February. Lords of London, be there. Thank you. I will see all of you there. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. In this section of the show, we hear about the contributors who have shared their stories in our new written issue. The stories include Melanie Southall, engineering EOPS team lead at British Airways, shares her career journey to date and her exciting role in the transformation of innovation at BA. Professor Rachel Rothman, Professor of Sustainable Chemical Engineering at the University of Sheffield, discusses using inclusion as a catalyst for innovation and establishing living labs to drive engagement and progress towards net zero in hydrogen, energy and plastics. 
Kate Taylor is the founder and director of the Dorset-based company Evenly, that's on a mission to provide effective and innovative non-surgical solutions to the challenges of breast asymmetry, no matter what the cause. Kate is a previous winner of Innovate UK's Women in Innovation Award. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and remember... If you want to support what we do, then share the link to the show on social media and also follow the show. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. Do join us for our next podcast episode and written issue where we will be featuring epic women in science ahead of International Day of Girls and Women in Science.